We've been walking through this book written by Peter, and he's addressing a suffering church, but also he's uh, taken on some significant issues. And when he gets to the fifth chapter, he, he does a portion on leadership, then into a section on humility, then into taking on the devil, and finally again another shot regarding suffering. There have been times when I felt intimidated even looking at a passage about Christian leadership because I are one, so to speak. And uh, it's like, stand up and say, evaluate my life by this. No, you know, I don't like that feeling. Uh, but I want to walk through this anyway and do my best to be fair to this passage. So as Christian leaders, I'm writing to encourage you. Says, I too am a leader as well as witness to Christ's sufferings, and I will share in his glory when it is shown to us. So he, he defines three things. He's going, I am a leader, and it, yeah, first leader of the church. Uh, that's impressive. But I said, witness of Christ's sufferings. So I mean, he was there, he saw it all, but he also saw the resurrection. But what he's noting is that not even the resurrection is as wondrous is what's going to be in regard to glory that will be revealed. So he's, he's saying these three things are significant factors that are, have affected his life or are part of his life. Then he gets on, he says, just as shepherds watch over their sheep, you must watch over everyone God has placed in your care. Now, none of us are shepherds, as far as I know. And so, you know, we can say, well, that's quaint, you know, and we like that. And we can refer to Psalm 23 and say, well, you know, the shepherd leads people to water and something to eat, and he protects them. You know, he's got his rod and his staff. But uh, that doesn't necessarily have to affect us in any way, right? We can just say, well, that's what shepherds do, and you know, I'm not planning on feeding anyone. I just, you know, go on. Well, we, we take that into other applications, obviously. But I want to note a couple other things, too. In, in Genesis, uh, when Jacob is talking to Laban about his shepherding experience, he says, I nearly burned up during the day, nearly froze at night, and I was sleep-deprived much of the time. And I guess I thought, you know, in regard to leadership, are we willing to step into that? I mean, there's often this thing of, yeah, I'd like to be a Christian leader. But are you, are you willing to be sleep-deprived, so to speak, to get it done? And if you want to take that further and going back and say, okay, if there's this thing of feeding and caring and protecting, then there's some responsibility that goes into this thing of, am I watching over a person's teaching and instruction or theology? Am I, am I making sure that they're making accurate decisions? Am I watching over their character development? Am I, you know concerned about how their life is progressing? Am I being aware of their life choices? Am I putting whatever input I can into seeing that take place? And am I concerned about it enough that I'm willing to take the heat or freeze in situations? You know, all of that, in a sense, I think is what he's going after when he says watch. You know, so it's, it's not just observe, but it's participate. Get involved in these lives. See where they're going. Do your best to influence. So that said, then when we look at you know, this thing of leading and, and in the, the church, 
if, if you're a part of children's ministry, you are a Christian leader. And are you willing to invest yourself heavily to see that those kids flourish? No matter what setting you're in or what voice you have, if it's a leadership voice, then there's this need to step forward and to step up, so to speak, and invest in what's necessary to see things fulfilled in others' lives in a positive fashion. He says, do it willingly in order to please God, not simply because you think you must. In other words, the motivation, there there can't be just a compulsion that says, uh, I've got to... uh, I've got to do this. You know, it's, it's more a thing of, I want to please God. That's why I'm involved in this. He says, don't let it be something you want to, or don't, <laughs> let it be something you want to do and something, instead of something you merely make to make money. Don't be bossy of those who are in your care, but set an example for them. So there's certain motivations that can be inappropriate in all of this. You know, if it's this, well, God probably wants me to do this. That's a compulsion. It's more fear-based than anything. If it's about money, well, then it's, it's the thing of, you know, well, this could be a good living. Yes. <laughs> or this bossiness, in some ways, often is a pride that's, overweening, or wanting to be exalted, you know, and just raised up and acknowledged by others. Those are all inappropriate motivations. But he's, he's just sending out some warnings, saying the idea, the primary idea of this is watch. Watch over others' lives. Do what you can to see them flourish. Then Christ, the chief shepherd, returns. You'll be given a crown that will never lose its glory. So he says there's a value to be received later on for all of this. Paul, when he's talking to Timothy, takes on a similar thing when he's talking to Timothy and saying, I want you to preach and share the good news. But I like this, uh, what it says in this uh, contemporary English version. So with God and Christ as witnesses, I command you to preach God's message. Do it willingly, even if it isn't the popular thing to do. So not compulsion, but again, speaking about what's your hard attitude when you take this on. You must correct people and point out sin in their lives. Um, that isn't always pleasant, right? In fact, you can lose friendships over such things. It's a price that you have to be willing to take on. It says also cheer them up. That's a little more fun. And when you instruct them, always be patient. Recognize the change might not come immediately. So as the time is coming when people won't listen to good teaching, instead they'll look for teachers who will please them by telling them only what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn from the truth and eagerly listen to senseless stories. But you must stay calm and willing to suffer. You must work hard to tell the good news and to do your job well. So those are two Really important passages in regard to leadership. I want to get back to 1 Peter. It goes on and says, All of you young people should obey your elders. In fact, everyone should be humble toward everyone else. 
So he says there's an overriding principle in Christianity regarding humility. It should be a factor of all of our lives. One of the things that stands out to me in the joining of these passages in regard to leadership and humility is often is that young leaders are saying, will I ever be acknowledged? Will I ever, you know, am I going to get the platform that I want? And I think Peter moves into it naturally and says, there needs to be a humility about our lives that lets God exalt us when He wants to exalt us. That He raises us up when He deems it appropriate. He says, be humble toward everyone. God opposes proud people, but He helps everyone who is humble. And then he has this, be humble in the presence of God's mighty power and He will honor you when the time comes. It's amazing that uh, even when, when we look at dreams and prophecies, the hardest ones to distinguish that are whether they're true or not in regard to our own dreams and our own prophecies that come toward us are the ones of blessing. Isn't that so? Because we want to believe it's so bad that we still have to take it back to the Lord and say, is this something you're saying or is this something I'm making up for myself? A lot of my dreams have been faulty. You know, and the truth is, God was never committed to those. But it's, there were things that I looked at and said, I can find my niche here, I can do this. And, you know, and, and in the back of my mind, oftentimes it's a thing of notoriety or acknowledgement or, or possession. You know, it, who knows what's driving us? But it's really easy to get caught up in things and just say, oh, this must be a God dream because it's good. And at the end, I really come out great. Well, those are hard to discern. But in the Lord, there's an opportunity for that, for him to say, you know what? No, that's not the direction your life is going. Or yes, that really is. And this is another confirmation of it. You have somebody come up and pray over you and they're, they, want, they wish the best for you. And so it's natural to, to, to say good things. You still have a responsibility to take that before the Lord and say, what's your voice in this? Is this coming from you or is this just something of well-wishing? And we have that privilege to discern and in humility, there's an opportunity for us to know what God's desires really are. I like this. It says, God cares for you, so turn all your worries over to Him. This is that broad statement. And in the old translations, it was, cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. And all of us, you know, can tie into this and we go, okay, are there worries connected with my life? Are there anxieties that I'm carrying right at this moment? And the privilege of the Scripture says, God cares for us. And so I have the opportunity of taking this before Him and hearing what He's got to say. I have the privilege of listening for His voice and saying, how are you going to step in here? How are you going to see me through this? Let me know your hand and see how you've provided again. 
he goes on in this passage and he switches gears in some ways, but he says, be on your guard and stay awake. For your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. You must resist the devil and stay strong in your faith. I want to link these three portions together. And uh, I want to say it's important that we pick the right fight. You can oppose God and you're going to lose. You can pick a fight with the devil and win. But it's an option. If you're going to let your pride rule you, you're going to lose. <laughs> this, this passage is, has marked my life in that in the first year I was here, I was asked to uh, speak at a, a young man's ordination, a friend of mine and, and a good man. And uh, I, I felt like the Lord gave me this passage to use. And uh, when I got done, I asked Char, you know, how, how, she says, you almost sounded like you were mad at him. That's not really what you want to hear. <laughs> Thankfully, she's honest, but it, uh, what was strange is that there was something going on prophetically in that meeting that I was unaware of at the time, because within months, I had to go confront him on an adulterous affair, and his pride in ministry and things not going quite as fast as he has wanted, and in some ways, had nudged him toward that. But he chose the wrong fight, and he lost. You know, and, and I'm looking at that, and I'm going, we have an option. We can humble our lives before God and embrace what he's saying and ask for truly godly dreams and prophetic insight as to where he's leading us knowing that He's good, that He cares for us, that he, that he oversees our worries and anxieties, that He's concerned about all of that. Or we can let pride drive us and be susceptible to the devil's wiles. Thankfully, this man has been restored and, and uh, he's not... In, back in ministry per se, but he's he's walking faithfully in the Lord, and and you know I, and he looks at that as as a, a healing time, but what a trauma for his life, for that church, for his family. I mean, it just the repercussions were horrible. But I I, I look at this and I'm going, it's really important that we get these things right. It's really important that we embrace what God embraces. It's really important that we take on what He takes on. And so in this passage, you know, it, it, there's this opportunity of looking and saying, okay, Peter, who's had this wealth of experience, is saying, if you're going to be in leadership, watch over others. Invest yourself heavily in it. Treat it like a shepherd, you know, 
Be willing to, to spend sleepless nights. Be willing to see whatever needs to be done gets done so that there's health in the people that you're watching over. But then he goes on to say, each of us has this responsibility to humble ourselves before the Lord and open up our lives before Him and say, what are your desires? Where are you taking this? Knowing that He cares. And that even in it, you know, that we don't want to open ourselves in susceptibility to Satan, but rather we want to recognize His wiles for what they are. Resist Him and stay strong. He says, you know all over the world the Lord's followers are suffering just as you are, but God shows undeserved kindness to everyone. Isn't that an amazing statement? He's talking about suffering. He's talking about persecution. The early church was pushed out of Jerusalem. He'd watched friends, or he'd, I don't think he observed the, the beheading of James, but he <laughs> was right there. He's thrown in jail right afterwards with him on the slate, except that God lets him out. He's aware of the stoning of Stephen. Pushed out of Jerusalem, the Christians running for their lives. And yet he's saying there's suffering all over the world. There's suffering going on. And what's he saying? God's undeserved kindness is there for everyone. He says there's a facet of God's kindness that reaches into your life no matter what situation you're in. There are dynamics of His care and His concern that are affecting you and, and are, you have opportunity to tap into no matter what's going on on the surface. I'll remind you that everything that goes on in the physical is temporal. So any physical suffering that you're under is a temporal situation. In light of eternity, it does not have the same value. It can't because it's short term. We get so caught up in the disasters of the day, so to speak. How can God possibly be good in this? Well, what we're experiencing is so short term in light of eternity. But we often fail, too, to see that even in these experiences, He's he's unveiling to us His care if we'll receive it. We'll humble ourselves before Him and allow Him to speak into our lives and teach us the goodness that He has there. You know, some of the things that I've detested the most in my life are the very things that God's turned around and used for good being very frustrated at having to work and not being able to get quite the grades that I thought I should. You know, you're working, you're studying, you're working, you're studying, and it, you're doing your best, but it, you're just not quite, you know, you're not at the top of the class. I wasn't. Didn't have the brains to be there without it. And uh, I remember, you know, I'm <laughs> cleaning toilets vacuuming carpets, polishing windows, you know, and it, a man of my calling, <laughs> going into ministry, you know, learning how to do it well, <laughs> chalkboards. Why do they have to use so much chalk, you know? <laughs> you know, all of that, 
And then my first ministry job, a lot of it was overseeing work crews, <laughs> vacuuming, <laughs> cleaning toilets, getting the sinks, shining the mirrors. I knew how to do that. <laughs> God had set me up. He'd prepared me. And I could go through experience after experience through life where I'm looking at it and going, I'm not seeing the value. And yet, at a later date, you're kind of going, oh, man, I sure am glad that I have this experience to lean back or call back on for what's going on right now. I'm thankful that I can trust the goodness of God and I've seen His hand sufficient. And I know that He's in this as well. He goes on. That's why He appointed Christ Jesus to choose you to share in His eternal glory. You'll suffer for a while, but God will make you complete, steady, strong, and firm. So He says, this is coming out of this process. You're going to be made complete. There's a steadiness that's going to be coming into your life. Strong and firm. God will be in control forever. Again, there's this anchor point that says, He never loses it. He never loses. He's never overwhelmed. He's never undone. He's never pushed aside. He's never discouraged. Just says he has power over all of this and will forever. There are a few greetings at the end of this book, and I'll read them quickly. Sylvanius helped me write this short letter. I consider him a faithful follower of the Lord. I wanted to encourage you and tell you how kind God really is so that you'll keep on having faith in him. He says, that's, that's the point of what my writings have been about. Greetings from the Lord's followers in Babylon. They are God's chosen ones. Mark, who's like a son to me, sends his greetings too. Give each one a warm greeting. I pray that God will give you peace to everyone who belongs to Christ. It's a good blessing for all of us. May God give peace to all of us who belong to Christ. Stand with me, will you? Lord, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for the leaders that you've blessed us with, even in this room. I pray that each one will serve as a good shepherd in you. Ask, Lord, that you will help us to choose the right fights, and that we will act in humility and walk with the humbleness of life allowing you to lift us up and exalt us when you see fit. Regarding the sufferings of the day, we pray that you will help us to see that in light of eternity, nothing that's temporal can outweigh the eternal. Thank you for your precious scripture that speaks life to us.